Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. I don't know how you did it on Friday, Gigi. It wasn't Friday good if you were here Friday. Thank you, Gigi. That was a great word about the cross and leaving us in that space was fantastic. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. I want to preach this morning about how empty Easter really is. I heard a story of a family that went over to the Holy Land to visit the Holy Land and see the sights. And this family that went over there, um, they went together. They actually, the, the father brought their mother-in-law along as well for the ride. And unfortunately, uh, turn of events, the mother, his mother-in-law actually passed away uh, there at the, at the holiday they were having. And so he got the news from the uh, Jerusalem funeral directors and said, look, it's going to cost you $5,000 to get the body back home. Or we can do a beautiful little service here in the Holy Land and you can bury it here for $150. And the guy said uh, straight away, he said, oh, no, we'll pay the $5,000. We'll be taking it home. And the guy said, well, are you sure? Like, we're in the Holy Land. Like, it's only 150 bucks, so we'll make a beautiful little service. And he looked at him and he said, mate, well, we heard a story that about 2,000 years ago, around here, someone rose from the dead. And I just can't take that risk right now. And so we are here to celebrate something being empty, that the Easter is a time of emptiness in a good way. I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to read a few things because did you know that everything that a Christian, and if you're a Christian here this morning, uh, 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 everything you believe is hinged on this one thing, the resurrection. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm so glad you're here. We're the kind of church that we don't care whether you are a Christian, not a Christian, thinking about a Christian. You're welcome here at Kalamunda. Amen. And uh, we, get it, we get a bit excited around here because um, this truth, we've sent the email to our face and we're excited about the fact that it is Easter. So if you hear all the excitement and the joy, this is reality has hit our lives, this truth, yeah? And so when it hits your life, it just changes things. It really does. And um, speaking of the resurrection, uh, you know, if it really is key whether it actually happened or not. You need to know, and as a Christian, uh, you, you need to know whether that is true. Because if it's not true, everything we're doing right now, I'd rather be playing golf right now. If it's not true, let me read to you how important it was in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This one chapter, I'm not going to read it all, but this is one chapter in the Bible uh, that a guy called Paul wrote. And he wrote this letter to a church, a group of people like us at a place called Corinth. And in this letter, he talked to them about resurrection. And this is the most information in one chapter you'll learn about resurrection. Here's what it says in verse 1. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. The gospel means good news, by the way. It's good news. And he says, I preached it to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. The word vain means empty. That's what it means. It means your belief is empty. I love it. He says here, the gospel for the gospel to be good news. See, the gospel is good news. But it's not good news to everybody. It's good news to people who have done two things. They have heard it and received it. See, we have this sort of thing about, oh, if you just believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus biblically is to receive him. It's not to receive a religion or a set of rules. It's to receive his presence, the very person, what he did, because he's not in the tomb anymore. And so he says that's what the good news is like getting medicine. It's like if everybody who heard the gospel was a Christian today, 
everyone just about, there'll be a lot more Christians. If everybody, if all we had to do was hear it to be a Christian, to, to know Jesus, that, that would be awesome. That'd be so easy to see people come to the Lord. But it needs to be received. It's like when the doctor gives you medicine for something. If you take that medicine and you believe that medicine is a cure for your life and you put that medicine on your cabinet and you every day look at it and go, that's the medicine. And you believe it can work, but you've never actually appropriated it to your life. You've never received it by trust and faith. But when you take the medicine and you receive it and appropriate it, it changes your life. The same thing is with Jesus. He says this in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. This is the good news of first importance. And that's what we're like at Kalamunda. We have a saying around here, we want to keep the main thing the main thing. This is what we're about, what I'm about to read to you right now. Uh, Of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. You know that was his brother? That's James. You know his brother? It's very good evidence in the New Testament to believe that Jesus' own brother did not believe in him during his ministry. But something happened when he appeared to James. This is the James that would become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Something happens when you see the risen Lord. He said to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born. I love that. He says, look, he, he, he rose and he appeared to people. People had experiences of him. And last of all, he said, he appeared to me. And this is the thing Paul says. It was different for Paul because this was years later. And Paul was a Christian killer. He didn't like the church advancing. He was really happy for, he, he loved seeing Stephen get stoned, one of the first martyrs. So this is a guy, what changed Paul's life to write most of this New Testament was not something he believed, it was someone he saw. He saw the risen Lord and when he saw him, he said, you know what, he got personal for me then. And I had to change my, I had to redirect my whole life. See, when it gets personal, that's when it changes everything. And the resurrection is God getting personal with you. I'm going to skip a few verses and go to verse 12. It says this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? See, this whole letter that Paul writes is a letter of correction to a church that are in error. And one of the errors was you're saying there's no such thing as a resurrection. And he's talking about bodily resurrection. And then he's like, if that's true, if there's no such thing as a resurrection, let me give you the implications. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, here's implications, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. First implication, if there's no such thing as the raising from the dead, Jesus is not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, by the way, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. This last verse, catch this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people, Christians, to be most pitied. 
most to be pitied. Of all people, we're most to be pitied. Without, this is the Aussie version translation. Without the resurrection, you're stuffed. That's the Brad Bible. If there's no resurrection, you're wasting your time. You should get your golf handicap down. You should go to the beach. You should go and eat, drink and be merry and make the most of this one life you've got. Make the most of it all you can and, and fill up on everything for yourself and get as much pleasure as you can. Because if there's no such thing as a resurrection, if it's not true that as appointed to man wants to die and then stand before God and face the judgment, then just live for it now. But if... If Christ is raised from the dead, it requires some of our attention in a serious, significant way because there is no gospel unless there is a resurrection. It says, it says here our preaching is useless. So every time you've shared anything, it would be empty. It says your faith would be futile, empty. And you'd be still in your sins, empty. And even loved ones that you're hoping to meet in heaven one day, would no, would no, no, that won't happen if there's no resurrection, empty. We would be most pitied. So have a great week. I'll see you next week for the new series. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I want to encourage us this morning that Easter is empty, but here are the few of the things that are empty on Easter that I want to run through for you because this is quite exciting when you realize how empty Easter is. It means how full your life can be. Number one, the first thing that's empty on Easter is the empty cross. It's uh, the story, as Gigi went through on, on Friday, Friday, the cross of Jesus when he came down. You know when they went to get Jesus off the cross because um, a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea and a Pharisee, there's a whole sermon in that, why well, they would get involved in this. They wanted to get Jesus's body and they had a place to bury it and they asked Pilate for the body. And you know what, they, before they would take the body, they were gonna, the soldiers would break the legs of people in who have been crucified. The reason being that it was the Sabbath the next day and no Jewish person in their right mind, they're not, gonna, they're not wanting people on crosses on the Sabbath. And so they would go and break their legs. And, and because crucifixion essentially is dying of suffocation, if you broke their legs, they, could push, they couldn't push up again on them nails. Gory, horrible, I know, but that's the brutal reality of the cross of Jesus. And because they would not be able to lift up again, they would just die of suffocation. You'd cut it short. Some people would be on a cross for days dying of crucifixion. It was brutal. It was horrible what Jesus went through for you and for me. And they went to Jesus and they went to break his legs, but he was already dead. See, there was a theory going, there's a theory for centuries been going around that he was, Jesus didn't really die. See, to have a resurrection, the first thing you need to make sure you've got is a death. If he wasn't dead, he didn't rise from the dead. But Jesus was dead because they didn't break his bones, fulfilling the prophecy that none of his bones would be broken. In fact, you know, Jesus, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus coming and how he would come, where he would be, how he would die, how much money would be given even uh, to, to betray him, how many pieces of the silver would be given. All these prophecies, 300 over them, about 320 something, all these things that lined up that Jesus fulfilled for one person to do it, basically what I'm saying is for one person to fulfill all them prophecies doesn't happen every day. <laughs> it is unbelievable. And if you do the mathematics on it, which someone has done, which I can't remember what it was, but it was just impossible. I say all that to say that there's a skeptic inside all of us. But when you really study and look at the Bible and look at the history and look at the prophecies, this is not blind faith today. You're not singing your songs to some God that you're hoping one day you'll meet to some airy fairy pie in the sky. This is not blind faith. This is, there's so much evidence, not just the Bible alone, but even secular sources that Jesus really did 
die on the cross. In fact, when he was on the cross, they didn't break his legs, but they took him down. And he was on the cross. He cried out the words before he died. Who knows the words he said? It is finished. It's finished. He wasn't saying my life is finished. He was saying the payment has been made for your sin and my sin. That one word, it is finished, is actually one word. The three words is one word. And in that, that day, uh, that time, that word was actually spoken of by painters. When a painter would finish painting a painting and they would look back and they'd stand back from it when there was definitely nothing more to add, nothing more to, to, to take, nothing that more they could do, they would stand back and they would use that word, it is finished. It is picture perfect. I heard the story of a famous painter. And he went back to his hometown years, years after being famous for painting. He hadn't been back there for years. And he went back and he walked along the streets. And in the, one of the stores, one of the, the stores, uh, where he saw one of his first ever paintings. And he saw they were selling it in the store on the shop front. And he looked at it and he just got a bit sad because it was cracked and it was, it was marred. And there was just the framing and uh, everything had sort of deteriorated. And he looked at it and he thought, oh, I'd love to, love to restore that. I'd love to do something with it. The thing was, though, for him to get it, his own painting, to get his own creation back, the own thing, the own thing that he loved all them years ago is that he had to go in the store and he had to buy it back. And once he bought it back and paid for it, then he could work on it and restore it and he could clean it up and he could get it back and reframe it and get it back to being picture perfect. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he's called our Redeemer. And the word redeem means buy back. He bought you back. He bought me back into relationship with him. He paid the price. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. I'm a big believer that we don't need to go around telling everybody how bad sinners they are. I think most people know in the human heart, the problem of the human heart is the human heart. And, and that's the heart of the problem. And it, it is that we know that we're a sinner separated from a holy, holy, perfect God. Even that thief on the cross, who knows there was two, three crosses when Jesus died. He had two thieves on either side of him. And on either side of Jesus, that these guys had that something in their heart. I mean, both they actually were mocking Jesus. One of them on the one side of the cross was mocking him and saying, Hey, if you're the Son of God, why don't you get down from here? Save yourself. Come on. And he's mocking him. But the other guy on the other side of the cross, he's like got this sense of sin in his life. He's got this sense of, oh, I, don't, I, I need to be right with God. And so what he does was he, he actually... In the Aussie version of the Bible, again, he looks over the other bloke and he goes, Mate, shut up. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, this guy in the middle, he's done nothing wrong. We're here for what we deserve. We deserve this. And he looked at Jesus and he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he's crying out and he knows he's a sinner in need of saving. And Jesus looked back at him and he said, Mate, I'm busy right now got something going on I'm going through some stuff if you haven't noticed he didn't say that he looked back with eyes of love and he said today you'll be with me in paradise because I live you will live I reckon he was the first guy straight to heaven his body wasn't because the bodily resurrection hasn't ha wouldn't have happened yet, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you pass away, when you actually die, you don't, you don't die, you keep living, you just step out of this earthly tent. You just step out. The word death means separate. Your spirit separates from your body and you continue to live either in eternity with God or in eternity without God, in hell, as the Bible, Jesus talked about a lot, separated from God. And this thief would have been one of the first guys to go into the doors of heaven 
Why? Because there is nobody too far. There is nothing you've done that's too bad. There's no sin too great. There's no, no place you can go to too far where God's love does not reach for you this morning. The cross is empty, empty, empty. The next thing that was empty is, uh, as we look into the tomb, is the cl- Jesus' clothes. Like, I find it f- fascinating, and I'm not going to go into it heavily, but the Bible says that when they ran into the tomb, that he had, his linen strips were off and unwrapped, and, and the, the head cloth was folded, and there's so much stuff in all of that, but when I read it, I just got this just leap in my heart this, this week to, to share with you that, you know, Jesus now covers us. I used to sing this song when I was in a little church and I was a kid growing up, that I'm covered over in a robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. He, come on, he gives us a new wardrobe when he died on the cross for your sins and the wardrobe is called righteousness. The word righteousness means that you are right with God. You know when there's something between, you know, like you and your wife, probably never happens to anybody here, but sometimes me and Sky, she does things that, and there's things that get between us and, you know, and, and I've got to apologise, I should say. And, but when the, you know when there's something between you and you're not right. And that's how we're all born. The Bible says you are born sinful. You are separated from God. Something, surely I was sinful at birth, the psalmist said, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. See, some people think sinning is something you do. It's not. It's who you are. We're, just, it's, we're sin factories. We produce it. And I've had to stop being so judgmental of people who aren't Christians. We should not be judging sinners for sinning. It's what they're born to do. And often we're like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Well, if they haven't got the risen Jesus inside of them, they're sinning. And we've got to be less, we don't, we, that's, especially here, hey, we want to be that kind of a church that we're not throwing stones Amen. But we're throwing grace and mercy and love and saying, hey, we're here for you. I know what it is to be in sin. And hey, I know how to get out too. His name is Jesus Christ. And this righteousness he puts on us, he, he wraps us in it. You know, right from the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and, and God would kill an animal and cover their shame. He covered their shame with the skin of the animal. But he's like, I don't, want, I don't want to just keep covering shame with sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. So when Jesus went to the cross, it was the final covering to cover, atone for, obliterate our sins so that we are now right with God right now, covered over. They say that uh, guilt and shame are the biggest contributors to mental illness today, I read this week. Uh, Guilt is what we feel from something we did, but when it turns into shame, it becomes who I am. And Jesus wants you to know that you should never have to live in shame anymore. There is now no shame because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 says. And that shame has been dealt with, that you've got a new fashion and his name is righteousness. And I just love that thought. The empty tomb is the next thought. Easter's so empty. I love it. The empty cross, the empty clothes, the empty tomb. The cross was the payment and the resurrection was the receipt. The resurrection is the proof in the pudding that he was. You know, a lot of people could go around and do and even maybe heal people. A lot of people could um, say that they're the Messiah and many people have and said, I'm the Messiah. But not many people have ever predicted that I will come back from the dead in three days. And Jesus said it over and over and over and said, oh, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise, rise from the dead. 
And they had a lot of hard time believing that because you can tell in a second, you see that a lot of time. But, but Jesus, well, he is the proof that he is the son of God. If he did not raise from the, rise from the dead, it would have all been empty. Let me read to you Luke 24 two. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in. These are the ladies and in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly per, as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold two men stood by them shining in garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth they said to them and catch these words why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. And it has never changed. We're still a, a generation of people that are searching for life among dead things. The same words are so relevant today. If I could just find life in this, if I could just find life in that, we're grasping at things to find life. If I get, get more money, if I get a bigger house, if I get the job I want, if I get the car I want, if I get the girl I want, get the boy I want, I'm just grasping at life and saying, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when I finish school. I'll be happy when I get a job. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I retire. I'll be happy when I'm, uh, just when it's never going to happen. And we're looking for life. Among dead things. And he said, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I am. He said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Amen. Come on. He is the ultimate thirst quencher in this life. See, Christianity is separate from all other religions. And the separation is the resurrection. It's a leader who is not dead anymore. It's a leader who's not a statue. It's a leader who doesn't have bones in the ground. They've never been found. I mean, let me ask you, if you were going along a road and you're heading somewhere and you get to a Y in the road, two different directions, and you've got one person who's dead to give directions and one person who's alive, which way are you going to go? You're going to go with the person who's alive. And Jesus stands today at the door of your heart and he is life and he's knocking on the door and saying, will you come my way today? Will you turn your life to me? And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to maybe give your life to Jesus and to follow him, to believe and receive what he has done for you personally and make it personal in your life. The empty tomb means a full victory. <clears throat> the empty tomb. And then uh, lastly on this point, I love the fact that not only is the tomb empty, there are empty reports or empty schemes, I'll call them. Did you know there have been many people that have tried to disprove the resurrection. And for good reason, because if they can disprove the resurrection, they can kill Christianity. And that's the truth. Um, the team want to come back up. Abby, you can come back up. That'd be great. In fact, there was one guy, you might have heard of this guy, Frank Morrison. He was a journalist and a lawyer. So if you could trust anybody, well, let me rephrase that. So if you could think that anybody would get to the truth and maybe change it. Anyway, if you think, he wrote a book. He went and started writing a book to disprove the resurrection. And I think it was in about chapter four, he met Jesus. And he turned the whole book around to prove the resurrection. And the book is called, Who Moved the Stone? <laughs> See, but this has been going on for centuries. In the scripture here, it says that, um, in Matthew 28, 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met, catch this, had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, catch this, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. Catch that. So there's this, in the, <clears throat> excuse me, 
if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. Catch this. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. That Jesus didn't rise, that he was stolen. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts on that. Firstly, the disciples, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, ran. They were in fear. The disciples, when Jesus were on the cross, nowhere to be seen. The disciples, when Jesus was put in the tomb, gone. At the tomb was stationed all these Roman guards. All these guards were there to make sure nobody stole the body. These disciples knew what happened to Jesus. Do you think they were going to come to the tomb and risk their lives? No way, they were out. For them, as Gigi did a great message on Friday, the Jesus movement had finished. That's where it had stopped. For the disciples, it was like, well, we've lost our hope. So they wouldn't steal the body. The second thing is that the disciples then in the book of Acts, all bar one or most of them, gave their life as a martyr for the risen Jesus Christ. They all died not for what they believed, but after He was risen from the dead, they died not for a lie, because why would they die for a lie? Oh yeah, yeah, we've seen Him. They saw Him and went from being terrified, hopeless, to being full of faith, to being passionate and to give their life. In, in fact, in, in crazy ways, uh, Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his request since he did not feel worthy to die the same manner as the Lord. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was pierced with spears by soldiers. James was stoned and then clubbed to death. These people, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. They saw him. They saw Jesus. He was real and he was risen. And they went from doubters and being fearful to being world changers. The fact that all over the world today in every continent, there are people meeting in just like this to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate. You know why? Because the risen Lord is alive and it is the truth. It is the, it is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Even further to that, if you were trying to fabricate a story, if you were trying to fabricate something that people would believe, you wouldn't write the New Testament Gospels the way you did. If, it was, if you had time to think it through, you wouldn't say that the women were the first people at the tomb. You would never say that because they could even testify in a court of law that that time. That, why is that there? Because it's just the truth. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian who's not a Christian, recorded things that complement the Bible. I say all that to say, it's not a feeling. We don't respond to an emotion. We respond to the truth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and He is here this morning and He would love to make Himself real to you like He did to Paul. My last scripture says this, Acts 4.33, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. See, with great power, they, they, they went from being, oh, this movement's over, to no, no, it's back on. We are on. We've seen the risen Lord, and we will die for this. And, and they changed the world. It's not a blind faith. What about you today? How is it in your heart? If you're a Christian here today, you can't testify powerfully to, to the work of God if, you're, if the resurrection isn't your heartbeat. It's everything. Everything is, it's not an understatement to say it, everything 
is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Easter is empty. There's an empty cross. There's empty clothes. There's an empty tomb. There's empty schemes that don't add up because there is a risen Lord. And I want to encourage you this morning that even if you were like Mary, the mother of Jesus, who on Good Friday would have felt the emptiness of grief, she found the fullness of hope. Maybe you've lost someone this year and it's been a hard year of grief. Maybe there's something been going on. It could not be a person, but something in your life that feels like it's been lost, a relationship. And, you know, like Mary, that, that hopelessness that Good Friday can feel was filled on Easter Sunday with powerful hope for the future. And God wants to fill you with that hope. Maybe like Peter, Peter who denied Jesus. I love Peter, the guilty sinner. He found from the resurrection a new beginning. A brand new beginning. In fact, I love the fact that Jesus picked Peter to lead the church. The one that denied him. The one that was all talk. But he said, I want you because you know what? I take nobodies and I let them talk about somebody that everybody needs to know about. It doesn't matter who you are this morning, where you've been, what you've done. God loves you. Jesus rose from the dead for you and his one intention this morning, his one heart desire is to walk out of the tomb as he already has and walk into your life this morning and make a difference. And the way it happens is that you realise you're a sinner in need of saving. You realise that this whole Easter thing, this whole story is not a story. It's because of the payment of your sin and my sin. We were separated from God, but Jesus took our place on the cross and he rose from the dead to say, I was the one who could do it for you. Now receive the free gift of God, eternal life. And Easter is a time of handing out the free gift of God. But a gift has to be received to work in your life. Amen. Believe and receive. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment and close off the service. And We've got hot cross buns that I'd love you to stay around and hang with us for some hot cross buns. But before that, I wonder if there's somebody here that needs to respond maybe for the first time to Jesus and say, I want to receive that. And rather than bringing you out the front and calling you forward, and maybe you've seen churches do that and that sort of thing, I'm just going to pray a prayer because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, the resurrection, you will be saved. But this prayer is about turning from the way you're going and turning to Jesus and following Him with your heart and life and saying, I can't do this. I need You, Lord. My life is empty. I want to be full of You. And I'm going to pray this prayer and I'm going to invite the whole church just to pray it with me corporately. And if you're here, though, and you've never prayed this prayer, I want to encourage you to pray it out loud. And maybe it's the first time that you're confessing this to Jesus. And then I'm going to challenge you to either come and tell me about it after or tell family or friends that you came with say, hey, today I gave my life to Jesus. Would you help me? Keep me accountable. Help me in this journey. And get plugged into a good church. I know one around here somewhere. And we'd love to walk you through what it means to follow Jesus. So would you bow with me and close your eyes out of respect for the Lord and each person around us, Father. I just thank you for this holy moment, this holy moment in your presence, Lord. I pray for every person here, Lord, and I pray for people that maybe have never said these words that are now saying, man, I want to I say that. I want to know I'm forgiven. I need forgiveness. 
And I want to get right with God today. This, I feel that, what he talked about, that between us, I'm not right with God today. And I just want to get right with God. I'm going to pray this prayer. I pray for people that are sensing that, Lord, that you would, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to them and give them the courage today to speak out uh, this powerful prayer. Again, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's you trusting in God. You're just going to verbalize it through this. So let's all pray it together, Christian. And if you're praying for the first time, we say, God bless you. But let's pray it together. Say, dear Lord, I come to you this morning, a sinner in need of saving. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me. Wash me clean. I need a new beginning, a fresh start. And I believe that you paid the price for me to have it today. I believe you rose from the dead. And I ask you now, come fill my life. I choose to follow you. Empower me with your Holy Spirit every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as I pray a blessing over everybody? Father, I just thank you for this morning. Father, I just thank you for every person here. For people that maybe prayed that prayer for the first time, would you give them boldness and courage, Father, this morning to share that with their family, with their friends, or with someone trusted here? Father, I pray a blessing over people that are guests and visiting, over people that come every week. Lord, would you just bless them this Easter with your presence, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit in their life and with the assurance of their salvation, Father, that they would know, Lord, in their heart and in their life that the tomb is empty. So their life is full. And we just give you all the glory. And why don't we shout and give all the glory to Jesus. And we say thank you, Lord. Give him a round of applause. We say we worship you. We love you. And we're going to sing a song and go out in joy. Thank you, worship team.